Welcome to Luxi, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science behind luxury items. We are still in our series on pigments, surprisingly. We've gone through the staples of black and white and all the colors of the rainbow, so what possibly could be next? I didn't think we'd find anything else, but turns out there were two more colors that we could talk about. So today we're going to talk about brown and pink, two very different colors with different connotations, but equally fascinating in terms of their history and science. And I have to say, Demos, you were not particularly enthusiastic about this no, in the I beginning. Wasn't. But and did you find something interesting? In fact, we owned a brown car. Really? Yes. I have not seen a brown car in a long time. We are. Our Honda was a brown car. Our Honda was brown. You never noticed it. Yeah, I guess it, it was just brown. just kind of sank into the background. <laughs> didn't it? I mean, when you live in Seattle, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, that would be yeah, more gray. I think gray would be the gray real invisible color in gray Seattle. Gray and brown. That would be the flag of Seattle. <laughs> and, uh, and I found out that uh, brown was for a little while made of corpses, but more on that later. Very interesting. See? See? It's a fascinating color. People, I think, overlook brown. Yes, we do. And yet it's part of our daily lives. And tell the truth, if fudge brownies were another color, mm. I don't know if I would eat them. Yeah, that's true. You yeah. need to have that fudgy look. So which one should we start with? The bright one or the dark Let, one? Let's start with pink. Okay. I decided to start the beginning of what pink is. So optically, pink is any of the pale shades of colors between bluish red to red of medium to high lightness and low to moderate saturation. While pink is generally considered a red, most tints of pink are slightly bluish, with the exception of things like salmon pink, which lean towards orange. The name pink was first used in the late 17th century, and it comes from flowers called pinks of the genus Dianthus, which are pale red or pink. Most European languages, however, pink is rose after the rose flower. The pink color in the plants often comes from a group of compounds called anocyanins, which are water-soluble vacuolar pigments. And this means that they are contained within the vacuoles in the plants, which are enclosed compartments filled with water and inorganic and organic molecules. So these anthocyanins are red, purple, blue, or black, depending on their pH. Anthos meaning flower. Yeah, and cyanin, I think, meaning blueish or something like that. So they're present in all of the tissues of higher plants. So pink as a pigment was not in fashion for a long time since making red was so expensive. The darker the red, the wealthier you were. And so the fashion was for bright crimsons and other deep reds, which we've covered. However, it was used in paintings, uh, mostly for flesh colors and sometimes in religious art. Like sometimes you'll see baby Jesus in a pink robe. But during the Renaissance, the paint pigment that was used was a light Cinebris, which is a mixture of Sinopia, Venetian red, which was an earth red, and lime white. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the next name for a great coffee, a Cinebris. It sounds like an air freshener scent to me. Cinebris. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're right. Glade plugins. It's probably, plug-ins, probably Cinebresi. <laughs> But pink really took off in the 18th century, where it became the height of fashion in European courts due to its popularity with Louis XV of France's mistress, Madame de Pompadour. Since then, pink has gone through many evolutions, but continues to be a mainstay mainstay of fashion and art. And interestingly, pink has different connotations in different cultures. Okay. So like in Japan, pink was more for like mourning Western cultures, pink it has become a symbol of feminism and, you know, romantic. But if you think of, like, Hello Kitty, 
like everything's pink. Well, I think, I mean, it's evolved over time, right? Yeah. And then there's the um, Korean pop culture sensation Blackpink, which is a girl group, K-pop girl group. There you go. Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit different in terms of the pigment because pink is usually made by combining pigments. There's yeah. not a lot of pink So it's pigments. a derivative. Yes. But one example of how you can get pink using a less concentrated red dye is uh, something we've talked about before, which is matter. In matter, Arubia tinctorum contains two organic red dyes, alizarin and purpurin, which can be a dull violet or a dull magenta red. With the isolation and synthesis of alizarin especially, synthetic pink pigments are now available, such as light alizarin crimson. Which makes sense if you're at an artist supply shop. But some other cool science around pink, and one is sunsets and sunrises, which in which pink features prominently. So do you know what that's due to? Um, I'm assuming it has to do with the diffraction of light. All right, so specifically it's called Raleigh scattering, named after the 19th century British physician Lord Raleigh, and it's elastic scattering of light or other electromagnetic radiation by particles much smaller than the wavelength of the radiation. So basically light hits the atmosphere, there's particles that are smaller than the light, and it gets refracted, which is split into its component wavelengths. There is a wavelength dependence of the scattering, which means that the shorter blue wavelengths are scattered more stronger than the longer red wavelengths, and this accounts for the sky being blue. And the reason the sky is not purple because purple is the shortest wavelength, is that the purple wavelengths, the violet and ultraviolet ones, are actually absorbed by the oxygen in the atmosphere. Oh, wow. So if it wasn't for the oxygen, the sky would turn purple. Potentially. Purple is also a harder color for human eyes to see. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, we're not as sensitive to it. Mm-mm. At sunrise and sunset, the path of the light to our eyes is the longest. So you're talking about wavelengths. This long path removes the short blue wavelengths that just can't make that trip and leaves the longer orange, red, and pink light to reach our eyes and produce those beautiful colors you see at sunset. And the remaining light can also be further scattered by cloud droplets or larger particles in the sky, and then the whole sky above the horizon becomes pink or orange or red. So that is the scientific explanation for a sunset. And then you think about like red skies in the morning, sailors take morning, red skies at night. No, I don't think about that. You're the only one. I do. You're the only one. I think about that every day. You do. I I know. I hear it almost every day. (laughs) But what if I told you that the oldest organic color on earth is actually pink? No. Would you believe me? I I would think it'd be something like the color I'm going to talk about. I would think so too, except a team out of the Australian National University, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2018, the oldest organic color yet discovered, and it was found in rocks from 1.1 billion years ago. So a PhD student, uh, Noor Gunelli, was doing what most grad students do. In her case, she was pulverizing some rock from an oil shale deposit in Mauritania, and she wanted to extract the molecules of this ancient and see what ancient organisms could be trapped inside this yeah, rock. Right. Yeah. So she pulverizes the mo- rock. She puts the powder in an organic solvent to begin the extraction process for the analysis. What color would you expect a powder of rock to turn a solution? Powdered rock. I'm cloudy. Yeah, like gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, it turned bright pink. That's so weird. So the pigment comes from a fossilized cyanobacteria and it's chlorophyll. Mm -hmm. So cyanobacteria are blue-green algae, and the pigment is pink when diluted, but the molecules are red and purple in their concentrated form. Oh, wow. So before green chlorophyll, 
there's this red and purple chlorophyll oh, wow. in these cyanobacteria that were present at 1.1 billion years ago. And what's interesting about this cyanobacteria is that for a long time, it was thought that the amount of oxygen is sort of the limiting factor for big, bigger species yeah. appearing in our evolutionary chain. But it turns out that it might be because these cyanobacteria, which produce a fair amount of oxygen, but are not as good of a food source. So in this sort of ge geological time period, you see a lot of these cyanobacteria. And then as that starts shifting to other types of algae, you start seeing bigger life forms. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was kind of cool. So in the end, bacteria are still running the show. Bacteria are always running the show. We are just... We're just hosts. Yeah, we're just spectators. Airbnb hosts. Yeah, for along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a bit of an artistic kerfuffle over pink. Okay. I think it's very fitting. I have my tea here. I'm about to spill the tea on this. So remember we talked about Vanta Black in our back Black episode? Oh, gosh, I don't remember the details of Vanta Black. So. so it was the black so dark that it looks like a hole. That's right. Yeah. So apparently the creator of Vanta Black, Anish Kapoor, declared exclusive rights to the color. That didn't really sit well within the artistic community. Like yeah. nobody could get their hands on it. So including an artist, Seward Semple. So Semple then created the pinkest pink as a counter to the blackest black. And it is a vibrant, neon, vivid pink. And he made it available to anyone except Anish Kapoor. It's like oh. when you go on the website, you have to verify that you are not Anish Kapoor. That's great. And on the website, it says, available for everyone except Anish Kapoor. I want to go to that website it's right great. now. It's great. Well, we can put a link to it in the show notes. So the feud continued because then Anish Kapoor posted on his Instagram with some pinkest pink. Apparently, he got a hold of it. So Semple has since taken to creating more pigments, also not available to Mr. Kapoor, including three new blacks, the glitteriest glitter, and the whitest white paint. This has worked about well for Semple, as he's heard, earned quite a following and has the title of the Robin Hood of the Rainbow. I suggest you check out the website. Just, you can just Google pinkest pink and mm -hmm. you'll find it. It is a shockingly pink color and I kind of want some of it. You're either the pinkest pink or the weakest link. But, well, there you go. So that that's sense. what I have for pink. But So we're going to go from the pinkest pink to... The brownest brown. The brownest brown. Is there a brownest brown? Well, I think there is. Okay, well, we'll see which one we'll you think go. is the brownest. One of the things about brown is it is also, so like pink, a bit of a hybrid. There's, a, you know, brown is, um, is a combination sometimes of not brown. And we've, we've covered a lot of the other pigments. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it. Um, if you go into Wikipedia, it's a great source for a lot of this information, along with the ColorLex website. You find out that it is a composite color, mainly a darker shade of orange in the CMYK, or uh, what is that? So that would be cyan, magenta, yellow, and oh, whatever K stands for, color <laughs> model. <laughs> That was really terrible. So you did this very in-depth research. I tried my best. <laughs> no, don't know? worry about it. It's okay. You know, I try. I try hard. Um, I'll get the K. I'll get the K. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. K is cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Okay. K is black. Well, How's K black? I don't know. Cyan, magenta, Maybe yellow, Maybe CMYB was already no, taken by yeah, something. I think so, yeah. Maybe by brown. It's made by combining the colors orange and black. Okay. And in the RGB, red, green, blue color model used to project colors onto television screens, brown is the combination of red and green. Which you will know if you ever have a toddler around you and they mix all of their finger paints together. Yep, absolutely. Mix brown. According to public opinion surveys, brown is ranked lowest in the USA and Europe. 
Some positive associations, however, include Antiques Roadshow. Autumn. Antiques Roadshow? (laughs) I threw that in. Log cabins and banana bread, which I threw in. Banana bread is, again, highly specific. (laughs) I threw that in. (laughs) Not just bread in general or cake or chocolate. Banana bread. Banana bread. Okay. (laughs) Brown has been used in art since prehistoric times. That makes sense. Yes. Paintings using umber, a natural Mm. clay pigment composed of... Rust, or iron oxide, Mm -hmm. and manganese oxide have been dated to 40,000 BC. If you burn the umber, do you get a different kind of brown? Because isn't burnt umber one of the Crayola colors? It is. And in fact, we also see that with sienna. Yeah, I really want to know where where sienna comes from. Well, you will. Okay, good. Uh, Paintings of brown horses and other animals have been found on the walls of the Lasso Cave. Mm Mm-hmm. Dating back about 17,300 years, a cave that was found by a dog and his boy in uh, 1930, I think. I feel like there's not as many of those opportunities left in the world to just stumble upon something undiscovered. Yeah, you never know. I mean, the world we have in, but yeah, it's true. You're right. The female figures in ancient Egyptian tomb paintings have brown skin, painted Mm -hmm. with umber. Light tan was often used on painted Greek amphora Mm -hmm. and bases. That makes sense. Everyone, there's a lot of Western style art that depicts people from Greece and Egypt. It's very pale, and then probably not the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like those those paintings of Jesus where he's like super pale, and you're like, I don't think that that was how that worked. No. Either as background for black figures or reverse, um, these colors essentially were designed to complement or contrast the materials used mm. for making um, inexpensive um, containers for olive oil and wine. Okay. Umber is a general designation for a sedimentary material substance containing um, up from 5 to 20% manganese oxide. Mm. And hydroxides of a larger percentage of iron oxides. So essentially what we're doing is we're mixing manganese and ferrite. The higher content of manganese oxides are compared to ochres. Mm. And it is responsible for the brownish color. Okay. Another color source are limonite, which is not a single mineral, but a mixture of several iron-containing minerals. I feel like we've talked about that one. Well, let's learn a little bit about it. Actually, limonite on its own is yellow. Oh, so maybe maybe that, it was that episode. Yeah. Then. It kind of looks like a yellow cauliflower. Yep. Light to brown, maybe yellowish brown. Mm. So that's the um, geothite, which is an iron oxide being a main component. Again, a lot of this just has <laughs> to do with the combination of other colors. Now, sepia. We talk about sepia painting. Yeah. We talk about it as a... Photograph. As, as a photography. Yeah. And sepia is a toner that we would add to the developing process of a black and white print hmm. to bring a dark brown or a light brown tone to it. It was an instant way to make something look older and maybe more uh, grandiose. Surprisingly... Leonardo da Vinci would wash his sketches with sepia. Really? After he would make a sketch. That makes sense, because if you see them, there was an exhibit of them at Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York one time, yeah. and if you see them, they are sepia-toned. Now, why did that? I don't know. The ink of cuttlefish is where we get sepia from. That is super Egypt. cool. Yeah. I love cuttlefish. Yeah. They're fascinating well, yeah. and delicious. And yeah, Sepia ink mm-hmm. was commonly used for writing in the Greco-Roman civilization. It remained in common use as an artist drawing material until the 19th century. 
I found Grisel to be fascinating. Uh, it's a painting technique developed in the 14th century mm -hmm. where, where painting is rendered only in tones of gray, sepia, and dark green. And here's that a fascinating a... one. The Christ and the Woman Taken in Adultery by Peter Bruegel the Elder. That's a very arresting painting. It is. The, and, and, and that's not the only. I mean, mm. the examples of Grisel mm. style painting is the, the darkness. It's put yeah. that into an image. Yeah, Grisel so for the listeners, if you're, if you're not Googling the image right now, right? So it's a very black background. People are painted in sort of shades of gray, and it creates this pop in the people versus the background. Yeah. That, um, it's almost three-dimensional. It, oh, it's almost three-dimensional, yeah. The, yeah, the it's a very interesting style of painting. Later on, because Sepia continued to have such enormous popularity, and mm -hmm. even to this day, modern methods of extracting and producing concentrated forms of sepia uh, continue to this day for watercolor and mm -hmm. oil painting. Russet is another form of brown, and russet is... Like a russet potato! Yes! Hey, good call! I like that. I love that. potatoes. I didn't think of that. Well, I love potatoes. Yes. Anything and that reminds me of them is a yeah. good thing. Well... Russet is something that we also give as a name to the commoners of England because they were required by statute in 1363 to wear russet. Yeah, there seemed to be a lot of laws about what colors people could wear yes, for a while. Because of, it was a way to indicate your social status. Yes. But then the Franciscan monks decided they would also take on the, this humble mm. method. However, their quality of russet clothing was of much less sandy <laughs> so this is more comfy but what's interesting is again the brown is mm -hmm. a hybrid matter mm -hmm. is red yes woad mm -hmm. w-o-a-d which mm -hmm. i thought was a spelling mistake no nope. nope it's a source of a color blue yes it is yes from satis tinctoria a flowering plant um from a documented history of uses blue dye a medicinal plant mm -hmm. that um, of all places, comes from Greece. The Mediterranean is found in other parts of Central Europe. Mm -hmm. um, in Greece, it was mostly used as a as a way to heal wound, a wound healing agent. Oh, interesting. And I'm wondering if that's why in my big fat Greek wedding, it's a blue liquid. Windex! Windex sprayed around. In Greece, it's really medicinal alcohol, which is dyed blue. Yeah. Um, for wound healing. So go figure. The medicinal yeah, mostly as a, a fabric dye. Didn't really make yeah. it into paint pigments. But it's that color combination of the color blue and then the, the, matter. the matter, which generated that brown. As we go into the Middle Ages, we find that the popularity of brown goes down. Mm -hmm. And... It was rarely used. Painters and book illuminators were really looking for bright, distinct colors, red, blue, and green, rather than the dark colors. Yeah. However, artists began to use a lot more brown as oil painting arrived mm. in the late 15th century. During the Renaissance, artists generally used four different browns, mm -hmm. including mummy brown. I love mummy and brown. I don't love the concept like the of it. Like I don't love what it is, but it's just, it's one of those lovely stories of just clueless people doing something fairly terrible. Yes, but as artists began to get mummy brown or understand what mummy brown was from, they stopped using it. No, I know, but yeah. I'm just saying. And so, yes, indeed, originally made in the 16th and 17th centuries from white pitch, myrrh, and ground up remains of ancient Egyptian mummies. I mean, it's possible they're just lying around. People are like, what am I going to do with this mummy? I know. Leave I'll it alone. Grind it's a dead it up person. and sell it to an artist. Let it be. Both human and feline. Historically, demand for mummy brown sometimes outstripped the available supply of true Egyptian <laughs> yeah, mummies. Because they're not just everywhere. <laughs> 
leading to the occasional substitution of contemporary corpses of slaves or criminals. Oh, this just gets worse. Mummy Brown began to fall from popularity. Good. Go figure. During the late 19th century, when the composition became more generally known to artists, the pre-Raphaelite artist Edward Byrne Jones was reported to have ceremonially buried his tomb of Mummy Brown in his garden when he discovered its true origins. Good man. And so he said, I'm going to give this. Can you imagine painting with someone's left remains? Oh, my God. It's like... mm-hmm. By the start of the 20th century, Mummy Brown had largely ceased production with its traditional form, owing to a continued decline. <laughs> I don't know what that's <laughs> supposed to be. <laughs> The supply of available mummies? Yes, yes. <laughs> the supply of available mummies was reduced. There oh, are goodness. some beautiful examples, however, of art. I'm um, sure there are, yeah. Martin Drolling, who does just... The work is amazing. <laughs> I feel like it's the soylent green of the art world. It's people! It's made of it's people! people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's great. Oh, wow. So... Interior of kitchen. Definitely okay. worth a look. Beautiful art. It's a very gorgeous picture, it's yes. Gorgeous. Yeah. Asphalt? Yes. It's brown too. Asphalt's Asphalt brown? Is an exceedingly complex mixture of organic bitumen and inorganic components, which cannot be characterized by a single chemical formula. Okay, well, Isn't good it on just, it. Just a lot of organics, bitumen, and we know that from its aroma, like if you heat it up. Hmm. It's a mixture of organic compounds with high molecular mass, mainly hydrocarbons, and the aroma is, you know, any airport tarmac. Yeah, that is a very distinctive smell. Mm-hmm. The mineral components vary according to location, where the mineral is found. Not many examples exist really in the artwork, except Garrett Du in 1658 does this beautiful piece of work. And let me magnify it a little bit so you can see. And it's a young mother. And it's uh, just beautiful. And it was a gift to the king of the Netherlands. Hmm. He's made it so and, big that... <laughs> and the um, brushwork in this is so fine that it is impossible. It is imperceptible, hmm. even upon close expe- inspection of this artwork, of the brushstrokes, to the point where you have to zoom in here with a microscope to see in clear font the name and the date of the work in the stainless in the in, oh. in the stained glass windows far above in the mm-hmm. upper left cool of, of this beautiful piece of mm-hmm. art and um, and definitely worth checking out in the show notes so oh now we're going to talk about umber is a mixed oxide of manganese in the formula of manganese oxide mm-hmm. oh that's manganese brown the name is sometimes used for organic brown pigments or for umber mm-hmm. the pigment is not affected by light and we'll talk a little bit more about umber in what we are going to refer to as caput mortem. The reason we're using these terrible names, like Latin meaning deadhead, mm-hmm. it's um, spelled out as caput mortem or caput mortem, known as cardinal purple. It actually creates a purple color, but when different mixtures mm-hmm. quickly assumes a brown yeah. uh, image, especially on paper. The name is given to a purple variety of hematite iron, an oxide pigment used in oil paints and paper dyes. It was essentially the leftovers of mm. making other pigments, and thus was called the, the leftover um, head. Like, <laughs> as you know, like you're distilling heads and tails, you throw those out uh, in the distillation process. It's very popular for painting robes or for religious figures and important personages. Mm. And the name of the pigment 
um, comes from the alchemy, since iron oxide is their useless residue, the caput mortum of oxidation. And no, it didn't come from mummies. <laughs> um, wood soot. I did not think this was going to be important. If I almost didn't include it. Mm -hmm. Used mainly only for sketches. Okay. Also referred to as soot brown. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Tar, burnt wood. Mm -hmm. Popular in France. So popular in France that it was used in so many French postage stamps. Yeah, there's been a couple of um, colors that are now just used. I don't know if they still use it in France, but like the mauve became another one that was popular, like super popular for a little bit and then became really uh, well-known for postage stamps. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not a great color. I mean, you could say it'd be like the color of phlegm. Like <laughs> it's a horrible brown. I, it's not a brown I consider a pleasant brown. Certainly wouldn't want my home to have that color. <laughs> and yet... For some reason, you walk into some old homes and sure enough, it's wood soot yeah. or bister. Uh, now, another brown that's fascinating is the Van Dyke brown, mm. uh, organic natural pigment containing brown coal, peat, or generally soil. Considered a lot of confusion is found on older mentions of this pigment. It's been considered um, an inorganic iron pigment, mainly in France. But the name had been used for other earth pigments, such oh, as okay. umber ochres. The main deposits of Van Dyke brown are in Germany, in the mm -hmm. region of Cologne. The pigment is prepared from uh, this raw material by drying and grounding. And uh, some of the great examples of using Van Dyke brown are not by Van Dyke always, <laughs> but by Rembrandt, Van Rijn, the image of Flora, which mm. is quite famous. And it has the transparency of that Van Dyke brown creates this very... Hmm. thick almost sepia kind of tone mm -hmm. and the image of flora almost disappears but it's quite a lot of contrast and yet mm -hmm. her edges disappear into the brown background finally the road to modern pigments and this is one of the questions you had was where does sienna come from yeah well it comes from sienna italy well that makes sense then doesn't and it and the clay soil is something that makes Siena famous. Mm. There's probably another reason to visit Italy. I mean, Italy does have... Okay, I don't, do you need more reasons to visit Italy? <laughs> um, I just want to learn how to make decent pizza. Mm. The main color-giving component of burnt Siena is iron oxide. Again, the rust. The pigment contains around 50% iron oxide and varying amounts of clay and quartz. Mm. It is chemically not distinguishable from yellow ochre. The only significant difference being color, burnt sienna, shows usually a darker and warmer tint than the yellow ochre. I wonder why that's it. I mean, that's an interesting thing. So it's not chemically different, but there's something about the arrangement that makes it a different color. Well, there are a lot of different ferric oxides. That's true. I'm just saying so, it's, an, it's an interesting observation. I agree. So finally, that's that's where we end there. I've got a few tidbits, if you'd like for me to share some, some, some interesting stuff. I did some study about the color brown. Okay. Two partners in 1913 in Seattle decided they wanted to start the American Delivery Company, which a couple of years later got renamed into United Parcel Service. UPS? Yes, indeed. The original color of UPS, however, was yellow. Hmm. Yes. However, as the company grew, a founding member decided a less conspicuous color was needed that was not as hard to maintain as black. Hmm. Apparently black was a problem too. Maybe you had to wash it. More. Well, that and it fades a yeah, very easily in sun. So the brown of Pullman cars mm. was an inspiration to that uh, founder. 
And the reason was that there was a clear relationship with luxury and speed. Mm-hmm. Pullman cars were all the rage in, for about uh, 50 years, mm-hmm. built to cater to high-end railway travelers. The color ended up making it to all uniforms and communications internally to UPS. And interestingly, UPS was the third company in the U.S. to trademark a color. Oh, cool. Any idea which was the first? Hmm. It's got to be an old company, right? Yeah. That has a distinctive color. How about a guess as to the color? Oh, was it red? Pink. Pink! Yay! Yes. Owens Corning. Owens Corning. Oh, the glass company. Yeah, the glass company. I didn't realize that their color was pink. Yeah, but uh, think about the Pink Panther ads for their insulation. Oh. Spun glass wool. Yeah, I didn't put that together. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So the glass company registering pink as its trademark color. Tiffany is another company that's well, yeah, trademark everybody, color. Yes. And T-Mobile. That's another pink, pink, right? Yeah. 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 Cool. So those are, my, uh, those are my details. Okay. So should we do a little bit of a glossary items? Uh, or some, sure. Some Let's cocktail party facts? Yeah, or? cocktail. Well, we, we certainly have plenty there. <laughs> do you remember what anthocyanins are? Yes, they are um, from a Greek word meaning um, cyan, color of flowers. It's the color in higher evolved species of flora. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just say that they're the the pigments that are found that make flowers, okay, purples and reds and things. So, what about Raleigh scattering? Oh yeah, that's the uh, reason that the sky is blue. Yeah, but what is it? Oh, it's the diffraction of sunlight in the atmosphere. It's the scattering of electromagnetic radiation by particles that are smaller than the radiation. I think that's the key. So if, if it's larger yeah. particles, you're not going to get the same kind of scattering, diffraction. Okay. All right. All right. How about cyanobacteria? Uh, blue-green algae. Yeah. Right. So you just answered the first cocktail party fact, which was what phenomenon is responsible for the sky being blue. Okay. Thanks. It's Raleigh I didn't scattering. Even, I didn't even read over your shoulder for that one. What organisms produce a bright pink pigment and were found 1.1 billion years ago? Some sort of something in rocks. Oh, wait. That's right. By bacteria. The cyanobacteria. Yeah. And what color was made in response to a licensing disagreement amongst artists? artists? Oh, oh, oh. Pink is pink. Pink is pink. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> black. Don't forget black. black. yes. Do you have okay. any that you want to do, or are we good? As far as, for me, one of the more interesting things was this this, this style of painting, of all things, Grisaille. Mm. Like, who would have thought? So what are the three colors in Grisaille? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating. Gray, sepia, and dark green. <laughs> so that's a good part. Cocktail yeah, party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And then a russet. Mm. It's not just for potatoes. Although it should be. But for commoners' clothing. <laughs> then mummy brown that goes without saying. I think it's a great cocktail party fact. Just the fact that there was a brown pigment that was made of ground up mummies. Yeah. Yeah. In Siena, Italy. What a great... And why was UPS's color brown? So... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a little less conspicuous than yellow. Yeah. And back then they were delivering packages with bicycles. That's very cool. That's your carbon promise right there. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Luxi. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This is the best way to help us get noticed and find new listeners. Special thanks, as always, to my audio engineer, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie, and we'll see you next time.